This morning we're going to explore what it means for humans to be made in the image of God, imago die. We're going to frame some important doctrine, and with God's help, we're going to hang it permanently in the walls of our mind. Five highlights about humanity as God has created us. Five highlights about humanity as God has created us. And I will say that this sermon is greatly influenced by a lecture by a theologian by the name of Dr. John Gerstner. He helped me greatly in framing things. I will also say that we will only get to two highlights today. And the next three highlights we'll get to next week. Five highlights. I'll give you two. The first one is that we, humanity, as God created us, created by God. Number one, created by God. At this stage of creation, something special happens, and I alluded to this last week. The first, we, 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 I'll back up and say the first three days of creation was God, as I described it, God forming the earth. The second three days of creation, days four, five, and six, God filling the earth. And we went through days four, five, and six last week, but not all the way through day six last week. Remember? I told you that we stopped right before the conclusion of day six. Because here was an important moment, and I didn't feel like I had enough time to do it. In fact, I'm telling you that I need two sermons to do this. We stopped right at this important moment at the end of day six. And this is an important moment because here in verse 26, which Jaff just read, we've arrived at what we can refer to as the apex of creation. Now the narrative slows down. If you look at the, God's finishing of day six, as Moses, inspired by the Spirit of God, has written, is, is all that's contained in verses 26 through 31. This is the conclusion of day six. So it's kind of like a movie that begins to move in slow motion. This is a special moment. God's highlighting some things here. He's highlighting some things about the importance of humanity. About what it means to be made in the image of God. Let me show you why it's, let me show you some reasons for why I'm saying this is a special moment. First, look at verse 26. The narrative changes in verse 26. Moses has been speaking in the third person. In verse 26, we get a change. We move from third person to first person plural. All you people that failed grammar don't know what I'm talking about, and I include myself here, although I now understand it. First person plural. What do I mean? Then God said, let us. That's a group. 
of more than one. Let us. Who us? Who's us? God and Moses? God and Jesus? Who's the us? Well, it's a reference to the Trinity. So God and Jesus would be right, but you'd need to say a little bit more because you would need to say the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Let us. How do we know that? Well, we've already seen a reference to the Holy Spirit, remember? Go to verse 2, second verse of your Bible. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And who was there? Spirit of God was there, hovering over the face of the waters. And I've already shown you that there's a number of biblical references that show us that Jesus was taking part in creation, that he was there. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, is a reference to Jesus having no beginning. Revelation 4.11 tells us about the Lamb, Jesus. And it references, the writer tells us that you, the Lamb, Jesus, have created all things. So when Moses says, let us, he is referencing the three persons of Godhead, of the Godhead. Let us equals divine dialogue. This is a conversation among the three persons of the Trinity. This is truly a holy huddle. I have referred to holy huddles in the negative. I don't want our church to become a holy huddle. But this is a true holy huddle. This is God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit all doing something together. A plural of deliberation. This is what makes it special. This is what's being highlighted here. There's, there's something else that makes it special. Look at verse 27, and we're going to focus our time here. Verse 27 shows us the first lines of poetry ever used in the Bible. Mo Moses, an obvious gifted writer, was also a poet. Verse 27, three lines with three repetitions of a word. Let's see if we can find it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Hebrew word, barara. Used three times. It's only used at three points in the entire creation narrative. Verse 1. When God created, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Created is used when God created matter from nothing. That's verse 1. He uses it again in verse 21. So God created 
the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves. The word is used when God created conscious life. And now we have it in verse 3, when God created man. There's this progression here. From the body, which is matter, to soul, which is personality, to spirit, which is God consciousness. Now the verb created, used three times in these three lines of 27, is in reference to the creation of man and woman. It's like God is putting exclamation points to indicate here that there is something really special about the creation of humans. Can somebody say amen? amen. God's putting exclamation points on this by using the language here three times. The verb created. I remember when I was about third or fourth grade, I came home from school with my brother, who was a year younger than me, and our cat, Shala, was pregnant. And when we got home from school that day, she had made herself comfortable in our closet. We shared a closet. She was in the bottom of it. And when we got home from school, we changed our clothes. We saw Shala sitting there. She started to make some strange noises. And then she began to give birth to these kittens. And I'd never seen anything like that live. Like I'd watch National Geographic shows and stuff. But my brother and I sat there fascinated as these slimy, mucusy, wet things, eight of them, came out of her and then she licked them dry and then they somehow, blind, they don't have any, they can't open their eyes, crawled up to her abdomen and began to suck milk. It was amazing. Now I've since seen animals born. I've seen litters of puppies born. And as interesting as it was, I wasn't prepared for the birth of my kids. When I say I wasn't prepared, I wasn't prepared for how amazing that would be. Particularly the birth of my first child. No, so it's not like I love Zoe more than the others. Um, but I, I remember it so distinctly, like a moment in time. I can hear Amy. <laughs> Yeah, the ladies are all looking at me. Yeah, we know, we know what you heard. I can hear Amy kind of just filling the whole space. And then I remember watching Zoe born. And I remember when the doctor had a hold of her. And I remember she lifted her up, pulled her up like that. And I, and, and I can still see in my mind's eyes, Zoe, 
there. And it was like this transcendent moment. Like something deep is happening here. And, and as the doctor spun like this, I was standing over here, as the doctor spun like this, Zoe's eyes were so big. And unlike my other children who came out crying, she was completely silent. I can still see the way her nostrils were flared. And she looked right at me. And I looked at her. And the doctor said, do you want to hold her? And I said, yeah. You could get into one of Elon Musk's rockets and travel to the end of the galaxy. You could study woodpeckers and the makeup of their brains. You could travel 100 times the speed of light and watch a star born and not experience anything more powerful than the moment I have just described to you because it is the apex of God's creation. A tiny baby girl, a tiny baby boy is the apex of God's creation. The child is created in the image of God. The child once was not, but now, as a created soul, she is eternal. She will last forever, even after the sun has faded away. Her soul shall live. What I'm doing here is I'm trying to highlight some things about humanity as God has created us. And I'm telling you that the first highlight is that we're created by God. Now, what's the application? What's the application here? Well, Scripture always has one meaning, thousands of applications. So we could make thousands of applications here. I'll make one. God holds people responsible for their acts towards other people. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. What's God doing there? Well, he's making a statement that humans are too valuable to be deliberately and carelessly destroyed. Remember sticks and stones. I preached from James chapter 3. James said this, with the tongue, with the same tongue, we praise God, and with that same tongue, we curse men. Remember when I preached that? Do you remember that passage? But he went on to say, we curse men who have been made, see that? This is a reference back to creation, who have been made in the likeness of God. So you shouldn't kill people and you shouldn't curse people. Why? God tells you why. Because they've been made in the image of God. They've been made in God's likeness. James says this should not be. Murdering 
and cursing of others are forbidden on the grounds that the other person retains something of God's image and should therefore be valued by us as God also values us. You're quiet. Amen? I didn't intend to have a lot of cat stories, but I'll give you another one. It just happened this way. Once I got a phone call from my in-laws that one of their beloved cats, and she does love cats. I don't love cats, but she does love cats. One of their beloved cats, another one, had been hit on the street and was in a bad, bad condition somewhere under the shed. So I went over. And I crawled under the shed. You, you guys all, you good? <laughs> I crawled under the shed. Not the shed, the porch deck and I found it barely alive limbs twisted every way and its insides on its outsides and it had that look in its eye please help me There was only one merciful thing I could do, and that was to put that cat out of its misery. So I did that quickly with an air rifle. Now, imagine for a moment if Mom Cole had called me and said, come quick, DK has been hit by a car and is laying in the backyard mangled up. Now imagine if I were, I'm going to kind of make this a little lighter here, okay? It's real heavy in here. Um, imagine if I were to say, hey, mom, don't look good out here. He's all twisted up. Not sure what we're going to be able to do. You want me to put him out of his misery? I would never do that. Why wouldn't I do that? Because he's made in the image of God. And a cat is not. Men and women, boys and girls, all humans have been created by God. In the image of God, he created us. This is why Christians should remain unapologetically pro-life. Why? Because we've been created in the image of God. This is why, as a church, we should remain unapologetically pro-life. This is why we will continue to support Chester County Connect Care and, and many members, many partners of our church that are serving that organization that is doing good at protecting the lives of the unborn. Why should we do it? Because 
we've got doctrine here, truth, that is being framed and hung in the walls of our minds. And one of the first truths I'm highlighting is that humans, humanity, is made in the image of God. We should put the same value on life that God puts on it. Amen? All right, let's go to the next point. Five highlights about humanity as God has made us. The first one, created by God. The second one, created male and female. You ready? I told you at the beginning of this series that one of the benefits would be that it would frame doctrine and hang it in the walls of our minds. I also said that one of the benefits of this series, and this is always true for the Word of God, if you preach the Word of God, you'll wade into the hot-button issues. You don't need to preach the hot-button issues and then go looking for a verse. You just preach God's Word, and you'll hit it. We just hit one. Human dignity. Hot, hot topic today. How about this one? Male and female, he created them. Ten years ago, a pastor could have preached this sermon without much controversy. This verse is at play on almost every bit of news you see 24-7. Male and female, he created them. And I've been praying, guys. I've been praying about preaching through this text. It's easy to criticize. Anybody can like listen to the things I say and criticize me. What's a lot harder to do is get up and actually say some things. So have mercy on me, as God does. But I've been thinking about it, and I've been praying about it. I got a text from a friend of mine who's a pastor. Check this out. You'll love this. I got a text this morning. I'm driving in. I said to Amy, she's, she's taking our daughter who's going to college in the fall to visit another church that's, that's near the college there. So that's where they are today. And uh, I said, Amy, pray for me today. And she was helping me, thinking through the sermon and all. So she said she's going to pray for me. And I, I got into the car, and I drove over here to the church. And when I got here, I got a text from one of my friends who's a pastor that I looked. I haven't re- we haven't texted since last August. I didn't have any text from him. He said, hey, man, you're on my mind praying for you today. You know, now that would be enough. Like you just, I heard a kind of a, a congregational, mm, like that's happy and warm, you know, and it is. And that's how I took it. But then I responded real quick. I said, man, thanks for your prayers. This must be the spirit of God preaching on Genesis 1, male and female. He created them. Whew. He texted me back. That's the verse I'm preaching on today. All of these verses. All of these verses. And he, God puts me on his heart. He's praying for me. And I say, thanks for your prayers. I need them. This is what I'm preaching on. He says, I'm preaching on the same verse. God is good. Now, let me see if this thing still works. Got it. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) 
Male and female, he created them. Let's not begin with cultural arguments. How about it? Let's start with the Word of God. You with me? Amen. I'll say it if you won't. Let's begin with the inerrant Word of God, which seems to speak so plainly to the issues of gender and sexuality. Male and female, he created them. And that's what he's still doing. Now, many would say that there's no essential differences between men and women, or whatever differences there are, they're accidental. What I want to say, just simply, is that that view is entirely incomprehensible from the standpoint of the Bible. From the standpoint of these first words at the beginning of everything. Sexuality is the result of the creative act of God. Sexuality is the result of the creative act of God. Do you notice what is happening each day, at each conclusion of each day of creation? The writer tells us something, that God saw something, like after he created it, it says God saw it. And what does it tell us over and over and over again? It was good. It was good and it was beautiful as it was created. Maleness and femaleness are good and meaningful just as all other aspects of God's creation are good and meaningful. Can I state it more plainly than the Bible does? Men are not women. Women are not men. It's always sad when humans take what God has called good and beautiful, tamper with it, distort it, and pervert it. And that's what sin always does. Not just with this issue. You understand, that's what sin has always done in your life. Sin always takes God's truth, tampers with it, distorts it, and perverts it. That's what sin always does. It's been doing that in your life, and, and Jesus came to rescue you from that. But that's what sin does. It distorts, it tampers, it perverts truth always. As a follower of Jesus... It's sad to see what's happening in our culture related to sexuality. It's sad to observe a man who is trying to be a woman. It's saddening to see women trying to be men. Let a woman try to become a man or a man try to be a woman and you have something that is confusing. It's out of order. A violation of God-created design. Strange. And simply put, in the eyes of God, wrong. 
Now, let's talk about what it means to be the church. Gallup poll says that 7% of Gen Z identify as LGBTQ+. Plus. 7%. That's not a lot. It's not insignificant. Now, advertising campaigns in America today would lead you to believe that the number is 50% or higher. But let's deal with the 7% because that's not insignificant. And those words that I just preached were carefully crafted. I thought about them, guys. And I didn't think about them to get cheers from people that would agree with me. I thought about how can I say these things that is an accurate representation of God and Jesus who I'm serving right now. But I also thought about people who would identify as LGBTQ+. Do you know anybody that is? I do. This is what I'd like them to say. I listened to your sermon. And I don't agree with you. but I get a feeling that you don't hate me. I get the feeling that you're actually warm towards me as a human created in the image of God. I know people that are in the process of transitioning. I know them. And I hope nobody in here would say, you shouldn't know them. I hope and pray that you wouldn't say that. I have friends who have adult children who are transitioning. You've got to be able to talk about these things. Friends, the gospel would call us to remember that even in an increasingly secularized America with progressive ideas that are at odds with God and the Bible, that our battle and our approach is not just against ideas or political parties. These are real people. They're made in the image of God. So how should we as Christians live in an increasingly secularized society? Let me tell you a story I read this week. This pastor wrote it on the Gospel Coalition. He highlighted something for me that I'd never read before, and I thought it was extremely helpful. It's the story of a monk named Boniface. You ever hear of Boniface? 675 to 754. So he was a long time ago. 
he took a very unusual missionary strategy. He was living among the Saxons. And the Saxons had mixed a little bit of Christianity with a lot of false paganism. They followed Jesus as long as Jesus didn't ask too much. Hmm. Hmm. At the center of their forest, though, towered the tree of Thor, who protected them. But they wouldn't say, they would say they worshiped Jesus too. The problem was the tree towered over the altar dedicated to Christ. The symbolism was clear. How could Boniface convince them of the one true God? They had an idea. I'm going to cut their tree down. So he sharpened up his axe, and he went to the center of the forest where they worshipped, and he went to the tree of Thor, which towered over the altar to Jesus, and he took his axe, and he cut down the tree of Thor in front of the taunting and jeering Saxons who had gathered to see Thor striking with a lightning bolt. He chopped the tree down, And in a final insult, he used the timber to build a church. <laughs> and this is what happened. They said, if a little puny little priest can come in here from England and challenge Thor and win, they said, he might be right about Jesus. <laughs> he struck a mighty blow for truth. And many, many Saxons followed Jesus. Now here's the danger. Because you're thinking about this story wrong. You're applying it. You got your axe. And we're ready to apply it. American culture is entranced with power, entranced with it. And we view Boniface as going to war with his enemies, but that's not what happened. Boniface didn't go to war with the Saxons. He went to war with their idols. He wasn't trying to own the Saxons. He loved the Saxons. Friends, when we confuse our audience with our enemy. We'll wield our axe with hatred instead of love. We'll cut people down instead of idols. Boniface confronted Thor for the sake of the lost, and that's how we do it. The people who identify as LGBTQ are not our enemies. They are victims of the enemy. Notice, he didn't build a fortress against the world. He didn't take the tree and build a fortress against the world. And this is my concern for us 
This is my growing concern for us in an, in an increasingly secularized society is that we would batten down the hatches. They're coming for us. And we would lock ourselves up and insulate ourselves from the lost and broken world that Jesus' last words were telling us to go and reach with the message and the hope of the gospel. Can I get an amen? Listen, if the church isn't a hospital for broken people, how'd you get in here? You say, well, my sins are. Nothing less than the blood of Jesus had to die for in order to forgive you for them. The church is a hospital for broken people. Even sinners and enemies find their welcome here. If the church builds a fortress and locks unbelievers out, we're not doing what Jesus has called us to do. Now, church, there's a difference between embracing and affirming. you got to understand the difference. Jesus embraced broken people. He hung out with people that, remember the religious leaders of the day got really upset with him because he actually hung out with people that we don't want for neighbors. He hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors and it got him into trouble. They thought he was a glutton and a drunkard because he threw parties with people who didn't seem like they fit in with the, the, the culture the church was building. This is the Jesus we're following. They confused his embrace of the broken with his affirmation. Jesus embraced broken people without ever affirming their lifestyle. He called lost and broken people to turn away from their false gods and find true rest and satisfaction in him. And that's what he still does today. Will you join him? Keep in mind, church, the difference between embracing and affirming. I think if a drag queen came up to Jesus and began to talk to him while he was sitting in the park, will you take a guess? What do you think Jesus would do? I think Jesus would talk to him. I don't think he'd go to a drag queen show and cheer for them. Do you see the difference? He hung out with prostitutes. He talked with prostitutes. He never visited a prostitute. He didn't encourage the disciples to visit prostitutes. See the difference? Let me end with this. Church, we got nothing to fear. We don't need to be fearful. The news will make you fearful. Everybody trying to make you fearful. Christians are the one people we don't have anything to fear. We don't need to live in fear of our culture's gods any more than Boniface needed to live in fear of Thor taking retribution on him. We don't. Is it going to get uncomfortable? I told Amy today, I don't know if I'm going to make it. 
in this profession. Because I foresee a day where people are standing outside here shouting stuff while I'm trying to preach. And we'll open the windows and say, come on in and get a cup, get a cup of coffee and listen for a little bit. We don't have to live in fear, church. We worship Jesus, the one true God who has created us in his image. Part two next week. Lord, I pray that you would take your word, frame this doctrine and hang it in the walls of our minds that we might live as a witness for our Savior, Jesus. As the world gets darker, may the church shine brighter. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.